Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. I'm going to tweet and ask our followers. There you go. And say is it dead if we call our podcast Amalia the podcast? And by the end of this podcast we'll have a name. We're currently at 50/50. Did you vote? Oh, we're currently at 50-50. Well, how many people so, have applied already? Two. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey everyone, my name's Sarah, I'm your host and producer, and welcome to the first ever episode of Amalia Voices. It's a new podcast we're starting here at Amalia.com. For those who might not know what Amalia is, we're a media company that aims to amplify the voices of Muslim women. Our episodes will be surfacing the voices and experiences some of our community and beyond on everything from identity and religion to relationships. Today I'm here with Selina and Nafisa Bakar, sisters and founders of Amalia.com. Say hi. Hey, salam. Salam. And... Better more, you know, this one. I need oh. some warm-up time. Come on, Amalia. Fire in the booth. So guys, I want to have a bit of a chat about the backstory of Amalia. Um, where were you both at in your life and in terms of your headspace? So for me, I was sitting on Amalia, the idea, for a long time and I felt like the longer that I was sitting on it, the more it affected my confidence because I just started thinking, am I just gassed? And so in my third year is kind of went of university, I was studying natural sciences at UCL. I'd been involved in some like social entrepreneurship stuff where I was helping set up projects. I was meeting those people in the startup scene. I just like kind of found this like whole thing of startups and was like oh what's going on here but I always thought it was just a hobby and and nothing more but I was kind of flip-flopping between do I pursue this on the side of a job do I how, how does that even look so what were some of your triggers for you to start exploring these options so for any of you that are economic students or no economic students you'll know they've got their five-year plan they know what insight weeks they're going to who they should be talking to what modules are the easiest to take they know who, who's who's who in industry. They're always at job fairs. And I was basically hanging around with way too many economic students and got to a point where I was like, OK, I need to be applying to jobs. And I basically pulled aside one of the smartest people I knew, which was Isa. And I said, look, Isa, what, what should I be applying to? She gave me a whole list and she said, look, the booze, the PwCs, the EYs, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, here, go apply. And I started applying I started opening up all the applications writing the letters blah 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 and next day I came back to my laptop and I was like this isn't what I want to do like why am I just doing it just for the sake of saying oh I'm applying for jobs too and so I just put all of that in a folder deep dark way in some hole in the in my laptop and I think part of it was denial because I didn't actually know what I was going to do but I just knew that's not what I was going to do and sometimes I feel like People think of starting something as these huge, courageous steps. But actually, for me, it was just those more intentional steps of 
actually process of elimination, what am I not going to do that's not bringing me closer to creating Amalia? So what did you do? So then I ended up, Kadar of Allah, seeing a job um, at UCL, which was working in the enterprise department, um, helping students to start very, very early ideas or be able to just gain skills through entrepreneurship to go into the workplace. And it was something I was passionate about because of the work I'd done with social enterprises. And I applied not thinking I was going to get it, the typical woman thing to do. And I ended up, alhamdulillah, getting it and knew by December that I had the job, uh, January probably, that I had the job. So my final term of uni, I was pretty chilled. I was like, right, I've got a job already. And the job was three days a week. And the idea was that the other two days you'd work on your business. And I thought, okay, this is obviously something that is made for me to be able to start Amalia. But at the back of my head, I constantly had this thought of, am I going to be disciplined enough to start it? And how did you go about achieving that discipline? Um, I just spent my time trying to fill in as many knowledge gaps as I could to basically prepare myself. So that was reading books, you know, reading books by the founders of Twitter, reading books about Google, reading all the cliche startup blog posts online, watching the Y Combinator series, all of that. And um, then I was like, okay, now I need to fix the technical gap that I have because I was trying to find, I was like, I need a website. I was trying to find developers. One developer would be like, it's £300. Another one would be like, oh, it's £3,000 and then another 500 to change the colour theme and blah, blah, blah. And I just felt like it was like talking to a builder. You could easily spend a million, you could easily spend a hundred and not still not get what you want. And in reality, I didn't have a pound to spare on this. So I don't know why I was talking to them anyway. Um, and then I was like, I'm going to learn how to do this and build it. And how did you go about doing that? So then I applied to Founders and Coders, shout out to Dan, we honestly wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Dan. He runs a free boot camp in London to train you from very little knowledge to becoming a junior developer essentially. Ironically I joined that course to gain confidence to fill a skills gap and actually by the end of it I was left with less confidence because it was a really difficult process. It was really intense. There was no formal teaching staff. There were 16 of us in a room, all with our laptops, just trying to solve problems week after week after week. Some days you would just sit on like a coding bug for ages, feel stupid, not really know what you were doing. And the whole process, I think I took very personally because I just thought, oh, okay, I'm just not, look, I've fallen at the first hurdle. I'm finding this too hard. That experience, despite being a confidence knock for you, still equipped you with what you needed to get started though, right? Yeah, so... That then allowed us to be able to build the first version of Amalia, which was awful. Um, but it it was a it was us being able to put out something into the world to start getting critique, to start getting feedback. And I always say, you know, when people come and say, "Oh, I've got this idea," and what do you think? It doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what people think once you've put something out, and it's better for you to get ripped apart for poor execution rather than not doing anything. It's very hard to rip apart, oh, I've got this idea, because you're going to present the ideals, you're going to present best-case scenario. You're, you're not able to really see what is wrong with it. Um, so in hindsight, I feel like it was the right move, although it was very painful. Okay, so you were now somewhat equipped and you were happy that you at least put something out there, but mm. I take it your confidence was still, like, a little whack. Yeah. Um, was it having an effect on the progress with Amalia despite having filled your tech gap? I was starting my job at UCL, so the coding course was over summer. 
And the idea, remember, was that I was going to work on Amali through the year. And weeks went by, months went by. I just didn't feel like I had the confidence. I didn't have it in me to create this. The turning point for me was when I went to a conference in Spain as part of work. I was listening to this guy speak and he was saying, for you to be able to get what you want, you have to somewhat distort your reality. You have to almost have a naivety that regardless of who you are, what background you have and all those other boxes that you tick, you can still do it, you can still push through. I remember being at the conference and it was held at a university in Spain and I remember seeing this brown piece of paper on the wall. It was probably like 10 foot tall and the brown piece of paper had all these comments and little scribbles on it of people saying why they love Spain, why they love the university. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, it'd be amazing to have that at UCL. But how would I do it? Like, where would I put it in UCL? And how would I stick it to the wall? Would I use sellotape? Would I use blue tack? Like, would I keep a pot of pens so that people could sign? Because what if people don't have a pen on them? Like, what, what then? And do I have to write instructions? Like, I was thinking of all these things. And I remember being in my hotel and just looking in the mirror and I was like, Nafisa, you cannot be for real. And I said that out loud. I just went, you cannot be serious. You're telling me your confidence is so low that you don't think you can stick a brown piece of paper on a wall and get people to write on it. And that is literally where my headspace was. That is what I thought my capability was. Okay, so I guess you could say you'd hit rock bottom. Um, what did you do in that moment of realisation? Um, then what I did was I started speaking. I started speaking as if I was accepting an award for the brown paper project, it had gone global, it had created huge international impact. Um, you know, it had like a thousand chapters in different countries and cities and things like that. And, you know, I literally was like, um, I'm so honoured to accept this award. The, the, the speech is somewhere in my house. I'm so honoured to accept this award. Um, it's been an incredible journey and from our humble beginnings. And I started scribbling in a notebook, writing the whole speech. And then... That was like, you can do anything. Okay, so what did you decide to do with your job and your life situation at this point? Because your job was already accommodating some time for you to work on Amalia. Were you going to take that opportunity to work on the side like you wanted to originally? or My manager at the time basically offered me what would have been a promotion. And I went to one of my good friends, Michael Ginzo. I know we haven't spoken in ages, shout out. And I said, look, this is what they've offered me. What should I do? And, he, and it was going to be a two-day-a-week role so that I could work on Amali for three days a week. And he just said, what would Elon Musk do? And he was like, if you want to be with the greats, you have to do what the greats do. What would Elon Musk do? Elon Musk wouldn't be in the job. Elon Musk... He'd like, probably create a bot that did the job for him or something. He would have probably... Elon Musk would be like, right, I'm going to create a separate planet for Muslims. <laughs> That's what Elon Musk yeah, would do. Um... And it just put it into perspective and I, I am very much an all or nothing person and I just said to myself, you know what, I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to give myself four months and if in four months nothing happens, then I'll just go find a job. I haven't lost anything, I just need to let myself not get to five years time and say I should have done it. What did you do to prepare for that four months off? Because... You know, a lot of people would be like, sorry, my belly, one second, one second. <laughs> a lot of people put up those obstacles straight away and they're like, no, I can't afford to take four months off. And if you if you weren't prepared, let's say you weren't financially stable, what decision would you have made then? In all honesty, I didn't prepare for the four months. I just knew that I would have to use those four months to figure something out. And I knew that my savings would take me through four months. 
Um, and if I wasn't, if I didn't have um, savings or anything like that, then I would have said to myself, right, you're going to dedicate two weekends a month to Amalia, no excuses. What did you do to ensure you were disciplined, though, to take on this new challenge, like especially after battling your low confidence in those like initial steps? Thing is, rewind back a bit. During my exam time, what what pushed me through exams is I had a piece of paper on my wall and it said, if you can't do this, how are you going to run a business? And that was like my test of my work ethic. And honestly, like my first year, I was close to failing. And then, alhamdulillah, my third year, I got a first. And for me, that put me on this high of like, I can do anything. And then I did founders and coders, which put me back on a low of like, no, you really can't. Um, And it was this constant like, up and down, up and down, look in the mirror, oh, you can do everything, and blah, blah, blah. It was just this idea of, like, you can do you can do something with where you are. Yeah, you might not have the network, the money, the contacts, the experience, but you can move somewhere. So just, just move forward a little, little bit. Are you cosy? Is your back... Are you, get a bit more comfortable. Get a bit more comfortable. Because I'm going to be So, Selena. What about you? Where were you at in your life and where was your headspace? I always find like reflective questions like this quite hard to answer. And I think they're hard to answer because I've never said a lot of this out loud. So it's the first time that I'm actually hearing what things were like or where I've been. Um, But I was definitely looking back at a crossroads. And I think we all go through times in our lives where we reflect to see where we're at and where we want to go in life. And it was such a pivotal moment for me. I was six months pregnant, and I already had a little toddler around my feet, Aisha, my love. I'd been married for a few years, and it it just wasn't working out. Without going to the details of things, it just came to a point where we, I needed to make a decision, and I needed something to allow me to move forward. I felt very stagnant in the p- place that I was. And at six months pregnant with a child, I realised, like, it was me and my children, and that was my family. Even, like, mentally, like, I realised that I needed to make sure I was in a good place. I had this thing growing inside of me, and I just remember one day just sobbing, and the baby started kicking, and I realised that, you know what, if I don't ensure... If I don't ensure that I'm okay and my mental health is on point, then this baby will suffer. I had very little options. I I remember, like, lying awake at night thinking, what should I wear to interview? Like, how can I hide this bump? And my bump was huge. Like, Nafisa will testify. Like, my bump was huge. And I'd make all these scenarios in my head, like, how I would hide it, how I'd come into the room, how I'd hold my hands up. And because it was a real concern, who was going to hire someone that was six months pregnant? And then I started thinking about, you know what, I'll just do do jobs like cleaning or just go back into like, I don't know, retail or call center, basically things where I could do short-term work, uh, make some money and just make sure that me and the kids were okay for the next few months. Mm -hmm. Okay, so at this point, you're a single mum, you're six months pregnant and you're out of a job, right? Mm -hmm. What occurred to you to be your next steps in life? I think a lot of mothers and I guess a lot of people who are self-employed will resonate. You start trying to find what can you do from home? Like, how can you make income from home? And I started, like, this craft business. Really and truly, it was a hobby. I have anxiety about people throwing things away. So 
in my job prior to going on maternity leave, which was two years ago. And I just noticed one day, like, all of the envelopes, the pieces of paper that were going into the bin. And I would go and pick them out of the bin. <laughs> and, you know, people in the office started realising that I was doing this. And I remember, like, you know, the MD, he was, like, throwing away this really fancy envelope. Or I thought it was fancy anyway. <laughs> and I was like, oh, can I have that? And he just looked at me and he was like, OK. And I had this little collection of different types of paper. And I started using the materials, I guess, to create things. So I started making, like, Eid cards, decorating notebooks, and just, you know, crafting. Like, I always like to stay busy, and I'd stay up till, like, 3 in the morning making batches of product that I didn't know what I was going to do with. But And I also wrote Nafisa into it, so she was, like, my my factory worker. And she'd show me, like, her latest designs. And she'd be like, what do you think of these? I'm like, mm, these are a bit more developed. <laughs> and I'd just be busy, like, sticking manila envelopes. Like, that was the, the material that I sourced the most and I needed. Um, and, you know, I, I launched a little Etsy shop. Um, I sold Eadcast to friends and families. Anytime anyone had the occasion, they need to ask me for a card. Uh, but was it... Was it sustaining you and, and the kids? What about your mental well-being and running a business by yourself and being a full-time mum? Was that something that you were managing? The biggest order that came along that actually made me rethink, do I actually want to do this, was a wedding order. And it was his sister who I do actually speak to like time to time now, alhamdulillah. And at that time I had a little baby who I was breastfeeding Aisha. And I was trying to make these cars in the middle of the night. Like this business plan worked before children. But after kids, like, it started actually getting a little bit tricky. Like, I couldn't stay up at night and have, like, loads of energy. Um, and I'd had sabr. I had had sabr in my marriage. I had sabr through this point, And I realised the one thing that I did not have was tawakkul. And that is that full reliance on Allah. I realised that I was heavily relying on myself. And that's why I felt exhausted. And it wasn't an exhaustion that sleep could solve or kind of me time can solve. My soul was, you know, tired. Um, I was relying on myself so heavily to ensure that I was answering my own du'as, if that makes sense. And and I just realised and I turned around and it was over a, a, a short period of time, but I just surrendered to Allah and I said, you know what? I've done this for your sake. Like, help me, guide me. Um, sorry. And when I was going through, I guess... Oh, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm not having this on the podcast. You have to edit it out. <laughs> um, and I realised I can do anything because Allah will allow me to. And I don't need to, and when I have that realisation that it's not me in control, suddenly life just looked different. And I think from that moment I realised a lot of things in life is about your perspective. Enough has talked about this before when we talk about it. Perception is your reality and reality is your perception. Distort it. And I started realizing that, you know what, there's going to be an opening. As long as I trust Allah, Allah will guide me. So you put your health, well-being and spirituality as your priority, right, despite being in a difficult situation financially. Mm -hmm. um, 
did you have any fears about maybe going back to square one when it came to providing for you and your little family? I remember speaking with one of my good friends, Sarah. Shout out to Sarah, who's been there from day dot. And I was literally in the kitchen. I'd made her a cup of tea and I said, you know, the craft business was great, but it was something that I guess a lady of leisure would do. Like, it was a side hustle. And it's fine for it to always be a side hustle. And there's some things that actually can manifest into bigger and better and have big impact in the world. And I remember telling her about the key moments where I felt Allah was helping me and how I had seen Tawakkul manifest in my life. And Nafisa called me and she said, you know that little thing that we're working on? You know that Instagram page, Amalia? We've just got accepted onto an accelerator. And I was like, what the hell is accelerator? Like, you know, all this tech talk. And she was like... Well, basically, like, I'm not sure if you can do this, but do, do you want to do it? Like, it's basically three months. Um, we'll be with other startups. They'll give us a little bit of funding. And and she's like, are you available for three months? I'm like, I mean, I'm available. And it was November then. We were going to start in December, in January. So you were going to be seven months pregnant. Pretty much eight months pregnant. Yeah. She was due mid-program. And I was like, I mean, yeah, but I, I have to have a baby, like, at some point. <laughs> And I was like, Bismillah, let's do this. And that was very much where I was at. Alhamdulillah, like I was at a point where I was, I was, I was at a point where I had reliance with Allah. So I wasn't thinking about the how. I just knew this was possible, and Allah had put me on this earth with a specific purpose. And I guess, you know, I didn't even think about the how. I just knew Allah was talking to me. Um, yeah, so alhamdulillah, that's where I was at. Let's hope the audience cried too. <laughs> the Tears podcast. You know what is good? I haven't really said things that fully. I think you should keep going. going. That's it. I haven't probably. Oh, do you not have anything yeah, else? Like, okay. Right, guys, so now we've had a bit of an insight into where you were in your lives and where you were at in terms of your headspace and your personal battles with confidence and tuakul. Let's rewind back to the point that you, Selena, get the call from Nafisa saying that you guys had been accepted onto an accelerator. Mm-hmm. Um, Naf, you had just been given some advice to quit your job. Why an accelerator? Yeah, so it almost felt like Allah was just putting these stepping stones. And I I thought, okay, I, we need to join an accelerator because what an accelerator does is it gives you... It fills your knowledge, it helps you, it coaches you, it gives you some money. It is kind of like university for startups, but they pay you instead of you pay them, right? And I didn't even apply. I saw this Facebook post from a guy called Paul Smith in the London Startup Facebook um, group. And he said, look, guys, we're trying to get applications. Shout out to a man like Paul Smith. Paul Smith, shout out. We, He said, we're trying to get applications into Ignite and... We, we're just not getting a lot of women. And we are really passionate about having more women in accelerators. Like, if you go to most accelerators, the gender diversity is awful. Um, and he said, I'm not saying just because you're a woman, you're going to get through, but we at least need a pipeline of women to be able to choose from. And he said, if you have, if you have any thoughts on how we can improve this or if you want to apply yourself, email me. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to email him. And I said, I want to know what we need to do in the next couple of months to be able to apply. And he just looked at me and he was like, 
you're ready to apply now. And he was like, actually, I can fast track you to the interview stage. You don't need to do the application. Um, I just need to know that you and your sister are committed. And I was like, he didn't obviously didn't know Selena was pregnant. And he was just like, you guys are both committed, right? Like, you can take three three months out to, like, do this programme. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, of Was course. it full-time? Yeah, it was full-time. Um, Intense full-time. In- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Like, ridiculous. Like, nothing. It's nothing. You can't prepare for an accelerator. You can't. You are they can't. all like that? The yeah, they are like pressure cookers. They are pressure cookers to like get to the crux of what your company does, how you're going to build it, what it like. Just pressure cookers is how I can describe it. Um, like people come out of there broken, you know, mm. like or people, like abandoning the idea, yeah, or pivoting. Like it's you know it's, that's what it's there. It really so for. the refining process, hundred percent. But Selena, like you were fully pregnant. She's a walking liability. You know, Qadr of Allah, there was a doctor there. <laughs> like, he was building a product and he literally come in late from, I think, a shift in A&E. And when he introduced himself, I was like, oh. And then I was like, oh, hey, like, I'm pregnant, so if anything happens. And they were really good. They even put, like, a notice up on the in the room that we were working in. And it had, like, the nearest hospital number, who to call, what to do. What do you think made them say yes so so quickly I mean, what was it girlfriend <laughs> did you ask them yeah. why what they, did they say so for them it was that we had this like passion and fire to make this work and if it wasn't going to be us who was it going to be how did you translate that passion and fire to them though because those are you know it's it's not always the way that you speak or the way that you carry yourself i think firstly it's research like really knowing inside out what your business is, what the market is you're in, knowing every single number that you can know. And then secondly, knowing, having a vision. And the thing is, like, the vision, when I say having a vision, like, really being art, being able to articulate where it is you're trying to go. Because if you can't articulate that, no one else is going to articulate that for you. And it's all, it's doing that whole, like, mirror brown paper thing of saying, like, oh, this is where we're going to be in five years' time. We just got to do it. You just got to give us a little bit of a chance. And I think as well, having the openness to know that it can go in lots of different directions. So you might want to solve world poverty and you think it will be solved by controlling food sources. But actually, if you have a more open mind, then you can understand actually there's lots of different ways to solve it. And Amalia could have gone in 10 different directions. But um, not a lot of people know that actually 
Amalia started off with a completely different model, and that was... Sorry. It's right. And that was a fashion directory for modest wear on the high street. Why did you veer away from that model, and at what point? Alhamdulillah. (laughs) (laughs) I think we realised that we... Obviously, we had this main purpose and goal to make life easier for Muslim women and to empower them in their identity. And there was a pivotal moment where we realised... We can do that, but it doesn't necessarily have to be only through fashion. And you remember the the moment, Naf? Our good, honourable gentleman. (laughs) David Cameron. David Cameron. Um, We were like two months into the journey and um, David Cameron basically said something like, uh, Muslim men get radicalised because Muslim women are traditionally submissive. And went to Twitter, started a hashtag called traditionally submissive. And they were basically holding up little boards or pieces of paper with all their qualifications, who they are, like basically saying like, and then with hashtag traditionally submissive. And we just had this moment of like, hold on, if we're saying we're here for Muslim women, how can we ignore all the other things that we as Muslim women go through? That's when we were like, should we cover it? Should we not? We're fashion. Do we need to be getting political? Is that okay? Because typically you you don't see sort of companies have a very clear stance on we just don't get into those sorts of things. But it almost felt like a responsibility to use the platform that we had um, and the resources that we had uh, to do as much as we could with it. Okay, so in a way, Amalia is now a complete person. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because she started off telling a story about modest fashion, which is definitely a part of her, but it's just one part of her, right? And Mm. now she's providing a platform for people to see all the different sides of her. Like, some days she's about afternoon tea and journaling, and other days she wants to talk about purity and and divorce in the Muslim community. It's it's almost like she started just, like, trying to make sure she looked good. And then... It's almost like that the self-discovery process. Everyone starts with the outer, then you... You start reflecting on the inner. Okay, guys, so we're going to do something called a fire round. Yeah. (laughs) Hit me. Okay. I need my list. I'm doing my little research, guys. I've got my Because I knew that you'd come in on me and I had to come with my research and my my facts and be like, this is why I want to back it. Correct. So I'm about to ask you for three things that you think are overrated Mm -hmm. and three things that you think are underrated. Wow. Start with overrated. Hit this me. is quite hard, you know. All right, you go first. No, you go first. No, go on. No, go. No, please. No, please. No, go on. Youngest Just, first. I'm covering my answers. Allah, may Allah reward me for being so polite. I shouldn't. You go first. Really? Yeah. Okay. <coughs> <laughs> the way you, you make your own duas and ask for reward. Would you like overrated or underrated first? Overrated first, please. <laughs> Number one in my list of overrated is the over beyond overhyped establishment that is Nando's it's dry but yeah but that's because you don't have any sauce but this is the thing your sauce shouldn't be the saviour I'm not saying I don't eat it I will still eat it but I think kebabish chicken cottage even a home roast is better than Nando's I have to agree with you Nafisa What's the novelty with Nando's? Is Just because you can do- guys. No, do you know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. It's because when we were broke young people, 
it was the upgrade. That was Michelin star <laughs> yeah. food. And then that just stuck with us. It's like, what? Because you can do little two-two step in Nando's. It's suddenly like, oh, nice restaurant. But I think the thing is that everyone is still broke. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's true. So maybe, so maybe you're at home then. Maybe you've got too much money now. No, and maybe, you're looking no. down at Nando's. Actually, I make my chicken at home. But I'll go to Chicken Cottage, which is cheaper, thank you very much. Kebabish, cheaper. Wait, I think this is a good time to ask Sarah what she sees as a chicken with. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. My second overrated thing is another establishment. Wagamama's. Is it? Why do people go there? Nah. No. Why do you... Again, it's halal. I feel it's like halal. it's again... It's is one it? Of the, well, Since when? What do no, you mean it's halal? halal, guys? Like... Stug for last spreading false information. <laughs> no, I mean, there's options, in it? Is there? You telling me I've been eating pumpkin for no reason? Manky seafood salmon broth. You know what? My daughter loves floating in water. Squid. No. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what else. There's a squid. What else? The wok fried greens are all right. Okay. What else? What else? Don't even try to tell me about any of their noodles. Don't try to tell me about any of their. For real, the only thing is the katsu, the chicken katsu. But that's not even. Are you not just cussing a whole nation? No, I like Japanese no, food. No, I'm. I love Japanese food, but Wagamama's is an industrialized chain of crap. Is it Nando's? <laughs> what? Are you just against any chain? No, I'm against bad quality food that is overhyped. Right. <clears throat> the third thing. Sorry, Oaxaca is dead. I'm gonna Oaxaca. make a statement. If you like Oaxaca, you can't cook. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. What is... Oh, you know what? No. I have flashbacks of this. My, <laughs> when people suggest worker, I'm like, I can't be friends with you. Because my team in a job went for a lunch, right? And someone chose Oaxaca. <laughs> and A is... I think the thing is with Mexican food, right? Is that a lot of the Mexican establishments aren't halal. And so then what you're left with is what I was left with. I ended up ordering the salad... Right, and it came in like one of those taco bowls. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, it's also burritos. What is that? Carbs in carbs, rice in a wrap. What no. are you? It's doing? rice and curry, not yeah. rice in bread. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, I'm gonna. But that's not one of my third overrated. My third overrated are lists. What kind of lists? I'm talking about hype lists. Meet the ten women who are leaders and pioneers and blah 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 the reason i don't like lists wait wait wait, wait. before you continue have we done any lists maybe in my uh amalia jahalia days <laughs> but we reformed <laughs> because i find lists problematic for many reasons and i say that because i've been on lists and i find it embarrassing to share them to be totally honest that's why i share them <laughs> yeah Celine, i was Celine, like but now if you're on a list i'm like no don't share it it's embarrassing so, yeah, the reason I don't like lists is, A, they're a lazy piece of content in most cases. B, they're quite poorly researched. Normally it's like, oh, who do we know? Oh, let's pop you on the list, right? And then number three, I feel like a lot of underrated talent doesn't get recognised just because they haven't spent time being hype masters and trying to get their name out there and things like that and trying to know the right people. They've been just focusing on their grind and on their craft. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I and I see them all the time. 
oh, 50 this, 10 that, 20 this, 5 that, blah, 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 blah. And I'm specifically talking about lists based on people. So what's the alternative to a list? I'm not saying ban lists. I'm just saying... She's saying ban lists, man. (laughs) I'm saying put a bit more effort and be a bit more thorough. Don't just think of the people that you know in your network and bang them on the list and say, here's 50 people that are amazing. I would please... Go on, Selena. Selena, I would very much like your overrated... I take. I had to take a sip of water because I don't think you're ready for this. Go on. Okay, so my three overrated things. I think a lot of people agree with the first one. I don't know what you guys want to call it, but halal turkey, halal bacon, whatever you want to call this salty plastic food. <laughs> um, I mean, firstly, I can't eat it for the premise because it's called bacon. Like, why, why do we beg it? Muslim, though, man. Why do we have to beg it though? Why can't it just be turkey? All right, fine. Crisp, crispy turkey. Like. It's not bacon. And they proper put the streaks in. <laughs> yeah. It's not bacon. Make it different. You don't even have to put... Like, I don't understand why we're baking it. Why? It's bad for you too. I have to... Yeah. Okay. Yeah? No objection, right? No, I feel like there's definitely a population out there who are going to eject. Because, again, back in Jahalia days, I would have probably what, said... What, eating a bacon sandwich? No, I've never touched bacon. Nafisa, exclusive East Bacon Sandwiches. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is before I was on my... You relief, never ate bacon? I'm, no, but listen, before I was on my diet, that I'm on day eight at the moment, um, I love processed meat. And turkey bacon definitely is on that list. Um, But then I came to a conclusion where I was just like, what is this plastic crap? For real. But some people, they haven't been enlightened yet, so just let them have it. Just allow it, man. Sorry, do you want to come in? Do I want to come in with an opinion? you like turkey bacon? You like it, isn't it? It got me through my teenage years, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. See, it's it's, again, it it falls in the realm of Nando's and (laughs) Wakamama's. No. Again, it's assimilation. Like we're oh, just are we really going there? Next, next. <laughs> All right. I don't think you're, you guys are ready for this, yeah? Sorry, I really thought about this. Is highlighter. Can we just look normal and have a normal shine where we eat well, we drink well? What is this artificial noor? Yep. Like, next we're going to start, <laughs> we're gonna start putting salah spots on our foreheads because it's a trend. Like, I really don't understand it. It's because it accentuates. Like, basically, everyone's all about, like, facial architecture. This whole contouring, highlighting fiasco. <laughs> like, no? It's definitely controversial. It definitely plays into um, yes. chat filter, isn't it? That yeah. Dead flower one, stop putting it as your Twitter profile. We know you don't look that buff. I mean, some people might. No, they, you don't. It's a filter for a reason. But you this is the thing, you buff. said some people don't look that buff. Yeah, the way I'm we're going into it. ideals of blue yeah. standard yeah. and I believe that the filter looks buffer than your normal self. Yeah. And what? There you go. <laughs> what are you doing? You're not in a silly mood today. <laughs> Take two. Beep. So my last overrated is us pandering to other media outlets. Mm. There seems to be this thing where success is changed. I don't want to put drop any names because I don't want to take away anyone's achievements. But we seem to be pandering to like, I need to make it into XYZ publication for me to mm. have made it. And the, the Breakfast Club, someone came on the other day and said it happens in black media too. Mm where suddenly people have made it off the back of black media outlets Mm. and now all they care about is those mainstream outlets and I'm like, wow, people really forget where they came from Mm. and not even that, when there's big, big, big events you don't see these big, big event people inviting Muslim media they're inviting these mainstream people to report on us for us, how does that make make sense? Acceptance is when they actually invite us to report on our own experience 
That's it. Yeah. Okay. Wicked. Did it make <clears throat> sense? Yeah. It made complete sense. Um, Naf, give me three things that are underrated. Right. So I've gone a bit Muslimic on two of three of these. Oh. So I'm excited. My first one is Sudanese Quran reciters. So a brother on Twitter shared this video of this Sudanese Quran reciter. And since then, I've just gone in this like deep dark hole of Sudanese Quran reciters. Like, honestly, I feel like you should actually play. A, do you know? Can I play go on, off go the record? On, go on. <laughs> <laughs> Rina's face. The way her eyebrows went up. <laughs> just keep listening. Man's got a different beat, you know, flow. Do you know what it sounds like? Wow, a song. <laughs> it's got Lord of the Rings vibes. What? <laughs> what the? Is, is, they're just different. It's getting a thumbs up from me. Thumbs up. Thanks, thanks guys. Right, go on, what's your second one? My second one is another Muslimic one. And it is Istikara. Istikara is one of the most underrated things that we have in our deen. Isn't that the dua altogether, though? No, it's Istikara in particular. I feel like Istikara has been hijacked as this, like, marriage... I Honestly, and the thing that changed my mind on this, or like, I guess, guided me, inshallah. Was it man like Mufti Mank? No, it was man like Productive Muslim. Abu Productive. Abu Productive, yeah. He he wrote about how actually Istakar is one of the best business tools because you are make, constantly decision-making mm-hmm. and therefore you should constantly be seeking guidance. Um, From the lips of Forbes 30 and the 30. What? 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 <laughs> <laughs> um... So I feel like Istikara is hugely underrated and we should be using it more. Um, my third one is actually a person. and Oh, babes. What? I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> um, my third one is a person. I am underrated, though. And their Instagram handle is the Black Pepper. And I know Black Pepper. She has been serving fashion looks for time in a way that I don't really think is done on Instagram. I'm not really someone who follows fashion bloggers. Do you know what? I'm going to make a post. I'm going to do a post. Yeah, there we go. So I don't really follow fashion bloggers. But also on top of that, she has another account, I think like the Black Pepper Journal or something like that. And that's where she does all her digital creative work. And honestly, mashallah, mashallah, mashallah. She is so gifted and talented and creative and I think she is hugely underrated um, and basically I say that because I think more and more and more people need to know about her and that is me thanks for your underrated my friend mine's not Muslimic at all my first choice was actually Beverly Knight but I've decided <laughs> to go with three different choices Wallahi out of everything that you could have said yet Beverly I did not Knight. expect no, you to I'm say sorry. Beverly she Knight she needs to stay in and you know what because the audience might be too young and young and they don't know, even know who Beverly Knight is you know 
Nah, I'm, I know who Beverly Knight is, and I'm sorry, I don't think she Justify yourself. Yeah, come. She's, Maybe we should play one of her tracks. Yeah, it's true, like, from that to this. No, she's been underrated for a long time, man, and, I mean, I just don't want to go into it. It's too emotional. Name a track. But she hasn't got the same recognition <laughs> as some dry, like... <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't listened to her for ages. She's doing Broadway right now, to be honest. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not bringing that to the table. I have three new ones actually. Okay. So the first one, I think, what is underrated is your local area. And oh, I'm not talking about activist vibes. <laughs> your, your, I'm not talking about your wider local area. I'm talking about on your doorstep. Mm-hmm. Like we all want to go to city and do city things <laughs> and be city people. Bougie and be bougie stupid. and sky this, sky that, and all of this business. Yeah. But, and then you start complaining about gentrification, but no one's supporting the coffee shop that is on your road. It's true. Or down the road, or beneath your home. Like, go to the local places. Like, you know, the other day, I had a little bit of mean time, and I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not going to Costa, because it's going to be pack out, Mm. it's a weekend. So I went to the quaint little coffee shop, I'll show you a picture of it after. And it was nice, you know, but I think it was only me and this other couple, and I think the couple were around because they kept looking over at me, and I'm like, mind your business, I'm (laughs) minding my business. You know the ones where it was was a white guy and an Asian girl, and they just, like, I'm all for, like, mixed-race relationships, like my children are mixed-race, but they just kept on looking at me like I'm some Auntie G vibes, and I'm like... (laughs) I'm just out here reading my book and doing my thing and drinking my tea. Like, you do your thing over there, innit? Um, I completely... Yeah. Uh, me and my friends boycotted Westfield because <laughs> after that was made, no-one wanted to hang out at my ends. But it's Axon. There's not really much to do, but we started, like, going to the local diners and cafes and now there's, we don't have to There's actually ambience up. there. Yeah, proper. Ambience. It's proper cosy. It's nice. You know, there's a saying that my parents always say and it's Bari Kate Poki Pik Paina. And what it means is the beggars closest to your home never get charity. Mm. And you're always, it's that whole thing, everyone wants to do the day trip to Central, but yeah. no one wants to sit in their own home and, sit and look at their own communities. True. So, okay, I'm, I'm thumbs up for that. Yeah, for real, man. Um, <clears throat> the next thing I think is underrated is, or are bees. Like, <laughs> why are you laughing? Why did you give me that look? Do you know what happens if all the bees die? We die. We have no more food. In Actually, the world it'll be four years before we die. Oh, that's but there death. are specific flowers and vegetation and and whatnot that cannot survive without bees. And here, people are out in the summer swatting bees and moving like the bees are the enemy. Like for real. Like that food that you eat, the avocado you love to deliciously devour. Like it's because of the bees. And I don't think we care enough about the bees. Do you know I about probably e- sound like an activist. <laughs> <laughs> We've been having end of times talk since yesterday. I'm telling you, bees. It's a fact. Like, if the bees die, we have four years to live. And don't try telling me about this old lab-grown, you know, lab-grown crests and all of this stuff. So, like, two things you can do. There's a really cool lecture about Islam and bees. Bees are mentioned in the Quran. Second thing you can do is sign the change.org petitions. Sorry to sound like activists. Iman Yusuf would be ha- uh, proud of you. Yeah, there's a piece on our site by Iman Yusuf, actually, and she talks about bees and beekeeping. So, yeah, check it out. Plug. Every day, plug. Every day. So you guys each have 20 seconds to give the listeners one piece of advice. 
Who wants to go first? Selena, I did my underrated overrated first. Okay, Selena, go. Be your own hype woman or man. Hype yourself, but not in an egotistical way. So in contrast, don't <laughs> believe the hype. Just don't believe the hype. Most of your problems in your life are because you believe the hype. Whether it's you going on it to Instagram and looking at everyone else's life but yours, whether it's you looking at, oh, look, this person got on that list and look how well they're doing. It's just a lot of our problems, even even Nando's, right? Believe in the hype of Nando's and then wasting your money there. Just don't believe the hype, guys, and you will honestly flourish in your life. Amen. Amen. It's going to be the majestic intro music. Oh. We're playing oh. <laughs> okay. Salam, everyone. My name's Aisha. Thank you for listening for today's episode. I hope you enjoy listening to my mama and Carla and me. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mr. Harry Hilton. <laughs> Mr. Harry Hilton. <laughs> Mr. Harry Hitchings for helping us with equipment. Mario Sod for producing our own music. Thank you to Huckletree and the Astute Adventures community. <laughs> and the Amelieg. <laughs> I can't. The Mario community for all of your support. You can find us on Instagram. <laughs> Amalia underscore com on Facebook and Twitter and on Amalia underscore tweet. Like, share Amalia.com. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.